Uh, Let me just pray now. Father, we pray that you might speak to us, O Lord, as we come to you, as we read your words. May we hear your voice. Amen. In uh, our house, we have a pointless light, Uh, at least a pointless light switch. Uh, It's uh, next to our patio doors, in our kitchen. We've lived in the house for nearly four years, and I cannot work out what it does. I think by its position, it's probably linked to an outdoor light we have that that is, um, I think, motion-censored. But the precise connection, simple though it sounds and may be to others, is beyond me. Uh, To all intents and purposes, we have a pointless light in our house. And I wonder whether the Bible can sometimes feel a bit like a pointless or at least somewhat inadequate light. Uh, We just sang with the children a song in part inspired by Psalm 119, verse 105, which tells us that the Bible is a light. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light on my path, the psalmist writes. And lights have purposes. Lovely as it is to light a candle and just sort of look at it for 30 seconds or so, by and large we tend to use light. We use it to see where things are, to um, uh, work out which way to go, to see how things work and what they are like. Um, light has a purpose. And so with God's Word. God's Word guides us. It lights up our path. It shows us the way. It leads us into truth, goodness, and wisdom. But sometimes it maybe does not feel so much like a light that guides our way. Uh, It feels dim, perhaps, if it shines at all, pushing out a few measly rays, but not much use to light up the way ahead. Oh, it's bright, but it doesn't seem to be trained in the right direction. The things that we want light to be shined upon remain in darkness. Oh, it's bright, but, it, but it's sort of trapped inside the lamp. It's, it's a bit inaccessible. We, we can't get to it. It's, it's bright, but it doesn't give light for anyone or anything else. Or it just doesn't give any light at all. It, it did once, perhaps, in an older, less enlightened age, but now it's just dim, fit only for the dustbin. Or maybe we know that the Bible gives light, but there are other things that shine. Our eyes are drawn to other things that glitter and glimmer over the light of God's word. Or finally, perhaps, it's like infrared. We know it gives light. We can't actually see it very well or see how it's supposed to help us. We still feel stuck in darkness. Um, This morning, we'll be um, particularly in verses 33 to 36. Uh, You'll see later why uh, why I asked Luciana to read from verse 29. Um, And in verses 33 to 36, um, Jesus picks up the metaphor of light. Uh, It's a short passage, but it's quite a complex little one. Um, The metaphor seems to shift partway through with light standing for one thing in verse 33, and then maybe something else in 34 to 36. Um, And it rings quite a few bells. There are quite a few other passages where Jesus uses light illustrations which seem quite similar but also in in some ways different from 
this one. Um, and I don't think our um, NIV Bible editors, if we're using an English translation, um, do us any favors, because uh, they put a little heading in at the start of verse 33. Um, but there is no new section here. Jesus started speaking in verse 29, and he's just carrying on here. There's, there's not a break or an interruption. And so I think these four verses um, function as, um, as the conclusion, the climax, maybe even, to what Jesus was saying in 29 to 32. And that, as we saw from what Phil taught us last week, is in response uh, to what the people watching him were saying in verses 15 and 16, uh, demanding him to do more signs. So I think this is the final piece in the jigsaw to answer the question of verse 16. And we'll look at it with um, three points this morning. Our first, see that the light of Jesus shines. See that the light of Jesus shines. From verse 33. Um, Last week, uh, Jesus put up a warning sign, and a big one, in front of this Judean crowd. Look how the foreign queen of the south responded to King Solomon's words. Look how the wicked Ninevites responded to Jonah's words. Do you not realize, Jesus said, that someone much greater is here amongst you now? Don't sit back and demand to be impressed. Don't stick your heels in the sand and say, just one more sign. Don't make it all about the show and the spectacle. See the sign of Jonah, Jesus had taught, and repent before you are condemned. He goes on, verse 33, no one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. A lamp has been lit. Someone has gone to the trouble, not just to flick a switch like we would do, but they've used up precious oil to light a lamp. They haven't gone to that effort to then put the lamp away in a corner or cover it. They've put it plain and obvious on a stand for all to see. What is this lamp? Well, I think it flows out of verse 32. I think this lamp is the something greater. I think this lamp is Jesus and his word, his teaching. Jesus, his word, his teaching. Are there something greater than Jonah, something greater than Solomon? The lamp of Jesus' words have been lit, and they have been put on a stand by God for all to see, that those who come in may see by the light. What's Jesus saying here? Well, similar to last week, I think he's saying that the problem isn't the lack of light. The problem isn't that um, we're all desperate, ready to see, but there's nothing to see by. The problem isn't the lack of input from God. Just as last week, the problem wasn't the lack of signs of evidence. Jesus' words are clear, obvious, therefore all to see, just as his signs had been. The problem isn't the lack of light. It's whether we will see by the light. For God has not sent Jesus and then hidden him. Now, Jesus may have had obscure origins. He had to be fully human. 
He had to be born in a particular place at a particular point in history and in God's wisdom, born into relative obscurity so that he could fulfill God's mission, so that he could become our savior and die. But that does not mean that God has hidden Jesus away. Angels sang his praises. Kings were told of his birth. Magi came to worship him. Within weeks, I think, of his public ministry beginning, news had spread around the land of the things he was saying and doing. And Jews and foreigners from near and far were coming to fall at this man's feet. And it wasn't just his person that God made clear. God has not hidden Jesus' teaching. He taught publicly, clearly, openly, in the synagogues, on the hills and the plains. He said he came primarily to teach, and then, of course, to die. And then his words were written down by eyewitnesses. And the Bibles that we hold in our hands today are translated from ancient manuscripts, just decades, a century or two, after the original versions were written down. We realize how unusual that is, to have ancient fragments preserved so well. God has not hidden Jesus' teaching. Not physically, not mentally either. Jesus' teachings are, by and large, not obscure. We require the Spirit to open our eyes that we might believe them. But it's not that they're sort of complex words that only the greatest minds can grapple with. Yes, there are bits that are harder to understand. And absolutely, we will spend all of our lives grappling to get to know God's word better. But the vast majority of what Jesus said was wonderfully simple and straightforward. Love your enemy. Forgive your brother or sister. Do not worry about your life. You cannot serve both God and money. It might be hard to follow, but they're plain, they're clear, they're simple. God has not hidden Jesus' teaching. And yet sometimes we, um, we perhaps think of the Bible as a bit like a magic eye picture. I don't know if you ever, uh, ever did them as a child. It's a little bit hard to explain if you didn't, but it's sort of basically a picture of, of dots and patterns. But if you look for long enough, if you look in the right way, get the right distance from it, squint to the right degree, you suddenly see a 3D shark. Maybe we think of Jesus and his word a bit like that. If we look in just the right way with our heads tilted to the right angle, our eyes closed to the right amount, then we'll see. We think Jesus' word shines, but it shines obscurely. And only the most mature and hardworking and clever of us can see into it and see the truth. But I don't think that's how Jesus' word works. We need the Spirit to open our eyes. There is great wisdom and truth as we dig into it and understand it better as we persevere and grow in Christ. But I think it's more like a flick switch than a dimmer. God gives us his Spirit, and we go from not understanding God's word to understanding it. That doesn't mean we won't still have questions, but I don't think it's a dimmer switch where the Spirit just does the first 10%, and then we have to do the rest of the 90% of actually turning it upright. I think it's a flick. God gives us his Spirit, and we understand his word. There's a simplicity, a clarity. Little children, 
can understand God's word, we pray they will now as they are upstairs. It's not so much about how hard and in what way we look and the work we do, but in simply whether we will look with open hearts that the Spirit might show us. God has not hidden Jesus and his teaching. He's put them in plain view. So the problem isn't lack of light. The problem is whether we will see it. Maybe there are some here today for whom the light of Jesus has been plain for some time. We know what Jesus taught, what he did. We don't have any other explanation for his death and resurrection. But we don't want to believe, as Phil was saying last week. And so we choose not to. But we blame the light. If God made the light brighter and clearer, I would believe. But God has put Jesus and his teaching in plain view. The question is not whether the light shines, but whether we will see it. Uh, Maybe some of us, probably many of us, slip into thinking that Jesus' light is, is a bit hidden, not as clear as it should be. We look around at our own Christian, anti-Christian, schools, workplaces, communities, home countries, and the candle seems to have burnt nearly down in this secular, post-Christian, Western age, or in the ancient nations that were once at the heart of Christianity. But remember that so many times before, we have been told that Christianity is on its way out, that it belongs to the old generation, that new, better things are coming. And yet, still, and yet we are still here, the church, 2,000 years later. The light still shines. It shines brightly and clearly. So our first point, see that the light of Jesus shines. Our second, take in Jesus' light. Take in Jesus' light. From verses 34 and 35. Look down with me. Let's read them again. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body is also full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body also is full of darkness. Jesus changes the metaphor as we move into this second section. The lamp here in this verse isn't Jesus anymore, but it's us. It's our receptivity to and reception of his light. Our eyes are the lamps of our body, Jesus says. They are the means by which light is let into us. Just as food enters through the mouth, uh, medicine through the mouth, through veins, through noses, that it might do its work in our bodies, so Jesus' word enters to impact our body. And the health of what we take in determines the health of our whole body, our whole self. When our eyes take in the light, our whole selves are healthy. When our eyes take in darkness, what can our bodies be other than full of darkness? And this is a hard teaching because in it, Jesus pushes against uh, what we like to believe about ourselves as humans, that there's goodness deep within, that we are not really dark. Think of some of our, some of our pop songs You are a force, a constant source. You are a shining light. There's something inside so strong. And there's something great in those lyrics about seeking to be strong for others, finding inspiration in other people, being brave, pushing yourself. But there's also something not very helpful 
a message that the light is in you. Only you can find it and nurture it and let it shine. But Jesus says that isn't true. We're made in God's image, yes. By common grace, we're not as sinful as we could be. We do things that are good. But there is not a light within us, a force guiding us into wisdom, truth, and goodness. We need light from the outside, says Jesus. Jesus is that light. He alone lights up our path. And so we come to verse 35, the only command in the passage. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. The question is not whether the light exists, but what we will do with it. Will we take it in? Will we see by it? Or will we simply look at it, know that it's there, and then not see what it shows up? Or worse, will we close our eyes and turn away, or scrabble in the dirt looking for things that glimmer, instead of looking to this light? It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit like road signs, I think. You can be great at seeing road signs. You learned the highway code years ago, ace to driving theory test. You'd still ace it if you did it today. You're great at seeing road signs. But it's not much use if you just see a road sign, is it? They require a response. If it says stop, you have to stop. If it says no entry, you're not meant to drive straight in. If it says one way, you really shouldn't drive the other way down this road. It's not enough to just see the sign. We have to take the information it's telling us into our minds and respond. And so with Jesus, we must look at his light and then we must see by his light. And there'll be some among us who might not want to do that. We look the other way. Like infants, we um, we cover our eyes with our hands and we claim that because we cannot see God's light, it isn't there. We don't like what the Bible has to say. We don't want to sit under it and be guided by it. So we don't take in the light of Jesus' words. But he warns us in verses 31 and 32 that that is not a good place to be. Uh, For others of us, we are and we want to take in the light of Jesus' word. But we get distracted by the shiny things around us. Like a little child, distracted by bright mirrors, metal coins. We love shiny things. We fail to realize that not all that glimmers gives us light. Uh, It could be um, things we see on social media, that we see on TV, that we read in the news. Opinions we see online. Opinions of our colleagues, our friends, our families. We're so easily swayed by them. We don't weigh their words against Christ's. Or it could even be good, godly sources of wisdom that we just accidentally sort of place above God's word. We call a Christian friend for advice before we think to pray, to open our Bible. Or we love to listen to Christian podcasts, read Christian books and Christian blogs. But we we never actually just sit and read the words of the Bible itself. Useful, helpful things, but they sit under God's word not where we go first. Or perhaps we're simply not sure how to see by the light. We're looking at a magic eye picture in confusion. We don't know 
what these dots are supposed to show us. And we perhaps take in a lot of God's words, sermons, home group, uh, Bible in a year plans, daily devotions, but it doesn't seem to shape us or, or change how we see and live in the world. We sense there's more there for us. We don't really know how to get it. I think this is a very common struggle, one I struggle with too. A couple of pieces of advice that may or may not help you. You may have other better strategies that you can share later on in home groups. Number one, make the most of the morsel. Make the most of the morsel. Uh, recently, I had to learn Philippians 4, verses 6 to 7, off by heart. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Um, it was a verse I knew fairly well already. It was familiar. I knew it was one of the go-to texts on anxiety. Uh, there'll be many within our congregation, I'm sure, who already treasure those words deeply. But for me, as I learned it, I realized that I didn't really know or use or believe it all that well. I learned that I'm actually quicker to just stew when I'm anxious, to get lost in my own thoughts, or to take, um, take things to other people rather than or before I take them to God. And as I meditated on that verse, I heard a, a command, not just a suggestion, command, something to do and something to not do. And I discovered an extraordinary promise that I could claim for myself and enjoy, a peace of God which will guard me, not which might, which will. I'm still a work in progress, and I'm aware that anxiety is a complex and can be an incredibly difficult thing to work out how to, um, how to deal with. But the Bible can help us, even if all our problems don't suddenly vanish. And it's been such a blessing to me to take a morsel of truth that was quite familiar, but to not just breeze past it, gloss over it, and then look for bigger truth elsewhere, but to really, by God's Spirit, dig into it and see what he had to show me. So make the most of the morsel. Extraordinarily deep truths and blessings can be contained within just a few words of scripture that we may already think that we know so well. Um, and the second um, piece of advice, um, find the principle in practice in the Bible. Um, verse sound bites, like the one above, are great. We probably know a few of them. But sometimes I wonder whether we need a bit more flesh on the bones. Another good soundbite, um, Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul writes, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. That's a great morsel. But it's not the only place where Scripture teaches us not to be selfish. I wonder, I think for a moment, where else might you go? Um, we've just been on a weekend away with the youth group, uh, and we've been in the story of Jonah. Jonah, who in chapter 4 God painfully exposes as caring more about a little plant which gave him a bit of shade for a few hours than he does about the 120,000 people who would otherwise be lost in the city of Nineveh. Dig into the story of Jonah and we see an astonishing command by implication not to indulge in the evil and the ugliness of selfishness. It's a great place to go. If, you, um, if you're grappling with selfishness. 
So look for the principle in practice. Nowhere to go in the rest of the Bible to see the sin that you struggle with worked through. And Jesus is the light. Let's not just read, read, read so that we can say that we have read. Let's train ourselves to listen for what he's saying to us today, for how he has intended these particular words to light up our particular path this day. Our first point, see the light that shines. Our second point, take in the light, so that our third point, you might be filled with light. So that you might be filled with light. The passage is filled with uh, warning, but that's not where it ends. It ends verse 36. Look down with me. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, It will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines on you. If you don't just see this light, but take it in. If you let it fill your gaze, enter in by your eyes, transfix your vision, you will be radiant, Jesus says. Your whole body will be full of light. The English translation doesn't catch the emphasis in the Greek original all that well, but there are two um, stresses in this sentence. Um, The first is on whole. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light. And remember from verse 34 that when your eyes are healthy, your whole body is full of light. So if we take in God's light by our eyes and let it do its work in our body, it won't get the job only half done. A little beam of light here, a flicker of light in that dark corner. If we let the light of Jesus' word into us, it will light up our entire bodies. Our whole selves will be full of light. They will be transformed. And the second bit that's stressed is I'm full of light. I'm halfway through. It will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. I'm wholly bright is how another translation puts that phrase. We will be oh so bright if we take in Jesus' light. Not only will it affect every part of us, leaving no nook or cranny still in the dark, but it will utterly transform us. It won't just lighten us up a little bit, give us a little bit of shine for another day. It will make us wholly bright, dazzling, in brightness, radiant with the likeness of Christ as we learn to live in the light of his word and better reflect his likeness. And I wonder, do we underestimate the impact of light, especially as city dwellers? Is it ever truly dark in a city? Imagine with me for a moment that you're a scientist heading down to do a year on the base in Antarctica. I doubt anyone actually goes there for that long. But imagine you go for a whole year. Um, Antarctica, as some of you will know, has just two seasons, summer and winter. Uh, In winter, it is entirely dark for six months. The sun doesn't come up. Um, And then at the end of winter, the sun comes up and it's summer and it's entirely light for six months. The sun doesn't go down again until winter arrives. And imagine you arrive just as winter falls and for six months, you do not see the sun. Your entire life is conducted in natural dark and just artificial human light. Imagine when the world finally tilts enough that the sun comes up. Imagine 
what it would be like to now see without a torch, a headlamp, a light bulb, but with your own two eyes by the light of the sun. And then to see for the next six months, for the duration of your stay, night and day, to see by the light of the sun. Imagine how that would feel to go from darkness to light and then to stay entirely in the light. Well, if we take on Jesus' light, if we let his light light our ways, then that is what he promises, that we will be full of light and wholly bright. Not a sliver of darkness will remain. It's a glorious promise. But what does it mean? I think here is where it may be helpful to jump to other Bible passages that use this theme of light. Uh, in Matthew 5, 14, uh, 5, verse 14, Jesus says, You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. In Philippians 2, Paul writes, You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Do we see the impact that light can have? Do we see the impact that we can and do have on an unbelieving world around us? Maybe you've spent time with unbelievers recently and been struck by how different you are. The language you use, the things you laugh at, the way you speak of other people, your attitude to those in authority over you, your humility, the priorities you have, how you handle the ups and downs of life. Jesus has given us his light, and he has made us light, full of light, wholly bright, shining in this dark world filled with sin, selfishness, and despair, this world that desperately looks for something different, for light. Jesus has made us radiant. Not that we might point people to ourselves, um, and how great we think we are, but that we might hold out the word of life, that they might see our good deeds and look to our Father in heaven and glorify him, that they might turn to the one who is the light of the world and take in his light too. The righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, Jesus says in Matthew 18, verse 43. So let us shine. Let's pause now, and then I'll lead us in a prayer. Father, we thank you for Jesus, the light of the world. We thank you that you have not hidden him and his words. Thank you that they are there for all to see. Help us, we pray, to take in his light. May our lives be lit up. May our paths ahead be made clear to us by the light of his word. And we thank you for this extraordinary promise that if our whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, then we are just as full of light as when a light, sh as when a light shines its light on us. Father, we thank you that you have given us the light of Christ to shine in us. May that be for your glory. Amen.